Today's episode is brought to you by being 12 years old again. You guys... <laughs> you guys, they... They named a robot master. Heart man. Heart <laughs> And we'll be covering Heart Man and more in 1990s Mega Man 3 on this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can. Today, we're continuing the classic series with Mega Man 3, The End of Dr. Wily, as it was subtitled in Japan. The setup for this particular title begins with Dr. Light and Dr. Wily having made up. Wily's turned over a new leaf and has agreed to help Dr. Light in his next major project, building a giant peacekeeping robot by the name of Gamma. In order to complete the robot and fully power it, Dr. Light and Dr. Wily will need energy crystals. However, their robots that were responsible for mining these crystals have gone a little crazy. As you might expect, this means it's up to Mega Man to go defeat eight robot masters and figure out why the robots went all crazy to begin with. It's kind of funny that this game begins with a little bit of an actual story beat, because there isn't even an opening to the game this time. You're pretty much just headed straight in. Mega Man 3 knows that you know what Mega Man is by now and you know what it's about, so it just cuts out a lot of the nonsense and sends you straight in. Of course, there are a couple differences from previous games that are worth mentioning before we get much further. One of the big staples of the Mega Man series in terms of control is first introduced here, which is the ability to slide. By pressing down an A, Mega Man will, well, slide along the ground. It lets you get through thin passages, it lets you slip underneath enemies, it lets you traverse stages faster. It's a piece of Mega Man's movement that's going to stick through him pretty much through every game from here on out, but it really wasn't introduced until this third game. Also a staple of the classic Mega Man franchise that makes its debut here is Rush. No, that's not a movement technique. Rush actually is the name of a small red robotic dog who accompanies Mega Man. In the previous games, you would obtain various special weapons that came with utility functions, enabling you to easier traverse the stages. This time, they've gone from just item 1 and item 2, which, you know, extremely evocative names. Instead, they're now summons of your pet dog Rush. This game marks the first appearance of the Rush Coil, which you're actually granted at the very beginning of the game. Summoning the Rush Coil causes Rush to teleport down in front of you, and then when you jump onto him, he will launch you up into the air. Essentially a way to set up a high jump. You can even summon him down on spikes in many of the games, I believe this one included, and use him to basically bounce off of those harmlessly if you do it right. But never mind the utility purpose. Come on guys, Robot Tog. Who's the goodest bot? There isn't a whole lot else we need to get through in terms of setup for this particular title, so let's not waste any time and get straight on to the stages in the Robot Masters. Like in Mega Man 2, we have eight Robot Masters to deal with this time. Hard Man, Top Man, Shadow Man, Needle Man, Spark Man, 
Magnet Man, Snake Man, and Gemini Man. We'll begin our journey into this game with Hard Man Stage, which isn't just a good stage in general to start with, but also a decently good look at how Mega Man 3's stage design differs a little bit from the previous games. Hard Man Stage is a very, very simple stage set in a rocky environment, but has almost no traps to it other than some clearly marked floors that will damage you if you remain standing on them after a moment. Instead, the big theme of Hard Man Stage is very, very dangerous enemies. All the enemies in Hardman stage tend to have some form of armor that deflects your shots, or just a ton of health that you have to deal with. It makes it a little bit tricky to come here first, but also the stage itself actually has extremely little in the way of hazards. Again, other than those trapped floors, they're actually... I don't think there's any spikes at all in this stage, or pitfalls, or anything like that. And it is a bit of a difference that Mega Man 3 decided to go with to make the enemies a little bit more meaningful. As opposed to a bunch of tiny enemies that just get in your way consistently, Mega Man 3 favored more significant enemy encounters rather than just numerous ones. Still, get past the stage and you'll tackle Hardman. Oh, hmm. I, yeah, okay, they, they named a Robot Master Hardman. It's because supposedly his armor is extremely durable. Like, okay. I'd get it, if not for the fact his weapon is shooting his fists, and now we're getting just really questionable. And can I mention that on the other side of Mega Man's portrait in the stage select screen, one side of it is Hard Man and the other side of it is Top Man, and I I know they really probably did not intend, but man <laughs> Anyway Hardman is actually a really simple boss. He fires a couple projectiles that will stop after a distance and then change direction to home in on you, and then he'll jump and slam himself into the ground, which basically stuns everything on the screen for a moment, and there's no real reason for it to, because it's not like it stuns you longer if you're on the ground as well. He's an extremely simple boss. If if he actually manages to like crash land into you, he's going to do a ton of damage, but it's really easy to avoid. Honestly, if you just stand close to him and just pelt him with Mega Buster shots, you will be able to take him down before he can take you down. You don't even need to really focus on dodging. Since we've mentioned it already, the next stage we'll tackle is Topman stage, which is a little bit thematically confused. It's a little bit greenhouse-y, like you can see a lot of plants behind like glass barriers that make up the walls, and there's cats around. There is a couple enemies that actually use like tops as theming. And to be clear, I mean like the little like tops that you would put on like a table and then spin them. That is the theme of this boss. They they went kind of eccentric really early in this series. But I mean, I guess it is difficult to do an entire stage based on that, but it still is a really eclectic stage. It's not a particularly dangerous stage. Again, it's fairly easy. Topman himself is also a really, really easy boss. He just launches three spinning tops into the air that hang out for a moment and then home in on you. Then he starts spinning and goes invincible, and then after a random amount of time, we'll just dash himself to the other end of the stage, and then rinse and repeat. Like you might expect from a boss with a predictable pattern, Topman's really easy. Only slightly random delays on his attacks give him any real chance to injure you once you realize what's going on. Next up we have Shadow Man's, which is probably one of the more visually distinctive stages in the game, or memorable at least. It kind of is like diving into partially a sewer system filled with red maga. They, they really went weird with the designs of the stages in this game. There's there's some cool little tidbits in Shadow Man's stage that we'll see, like these hollow projectors that 
travel along the top of the screen. And while they are on the screen, you lose sight of all of the stage elements in favor of just like a cosmic space background. You can still see the enemies, but you can't actually see the platforms you need to jump on. Surprisingly, what they could have done with this was make it so there were invisible pits, but they actually avoid doing this. There's also a section that is kind of probably memorable to anybody who's played this game where you have to jump across some pits while enemies parachute down from above at you. But again, as long as you take it slow and don't try to like rush through, it's not really a dangerous stage. Shadow Man himself, by comparison to the previous two bosses, is actually somewhat random and a lot more unpredictable. He'll jump two or three times around the arena and then either slide towards you or he'll generate a couple of shurikens and throw them. Fairly simple, but random enough to potentially give you some heck. Also on the side of really easy stages to explain is Needleman stage, which is weirdly, like, tiny? There's barely any enemies rolling around this stage other than a couple porcupine-themed enemies. There's only one room with any hazards with spikes that come down from the ceiling in certain locations at a certain rhythm that you have to slip between. But also, they're not even spikes, they're just needles, so they don't pop Mega Man like a balloon. They just regularly injure you. That said, it's probably a good thing that Needleman's stage is so incredibly basic and over with really quickly, because Needleman himself might be the most dangerous of the eight robot masters. Much like Shadow Man, he likes to jump around and then do attacks, except he's a lot more random about when he opts to do the attacks. And he'll either jump into the air and fire homing needles at you, or just very, very quickly slam his head across a portion of the stage in front of him. And it's a little bit difficult, because if you're close enough that he could hit you with that forward stab attack that he does, you need to already be jumping in order to avoid it. But if he decides to go aerial and fire the homing needles instead, you're probably going to get hit with that if you jumped. So if he decides to play nice, he's actually not that bad of a boss, but... His randomness really does make him a tricky fight, and it can be very difficult to duel him if you don't have his weakness. Moving on to the stages that have a little bit more actually stage to talk about, we come to Sparkman stage, which is probably actually one of the harder stages in the game. definitely feels a little bit like the previous Mega Man games, emphasizing platforming difficulty over enemy difficulty. For instance, there are enemy-looking little generator things that will track along the bottom and top of the stage and occasionally generate a lightning wall between them that you'll need to time your jumps between, and then you'll have to do this while jumping across pits. These look like enemies, but they're actually not. You can't interact with them. They're just stage hazards, which kind of surprised me. They really look like something you'd be able to fight. And I think there are variants of this enemy in later games that you can just destroy instead of trying to maneuver your way around. There's also conveyor belt platforms you'll have to jump between, and a particularly nasty room right near the end featuring some little platforms with up arrows and a spike ceiling. And when you land on these platforms, they will start accelerating upwards and you need to jump off of them with a fairly decent timing in order to reach the next platform, but not so late that you end up hitting the spike ceiling. And this would be a little bit tricky as is, but towards the end of this specific room, there are enemies that are going to teleport in midway through while you are 
crossing these gaps. And these enemies are invincible for a couple seconds, too. It's not like you can just set yourselves up to destroy them with a weapon as you go. They are actually hazards, and you'll either need to, like, trigger them and go backward to safety where you can safely destroy them, or just really be ready for it. It's honestly probably the toughest single segment of this game, I think. And it's weird that it's so early. Mega Man 3 apparently has a fairly decent reputation of maybe being harder than Mega Man 2 was. I don't agree with that segment really at all, but if more of the game was like this segment, I certainly could. Fortunately, Sparkman himself is fairly simple. His stage is a bit uneven, but he'll jump to each floor in turn and then do a pattern of firing off a spread of sparks and then one big one that will aim directly at your location. He seems a little bit big and intimidating, and he seems very mobile, but he's actually very fixed and predictable, and most importantly, pretty slow to actually attack, so it's fairly easy for you to take him down. Magnet Man stage, I was just mentioning the way that this game's sometimes considered to be harder than Mega Man 2, but I think Magnet Man stage is a good example of how the level design changed in a way that it wasn't, because some some aspects that were frustrating in Mega Man 2 come back here. There were enemies in Airman stage that would move you forward or backwards when you were in line with them. In Magnet Man stage, that has changed to hazards on the field. There are magnets that will fly above you, and then there are actually generators built into the wall that you cannot destroy that will push you forward or pull you back. This is combined not so much with regular pits as it is with good old-fashioned Yoku blocks. You know, those disappearing and reappearing pains in the... So you'd expect that to be a nightmare, and it's actually not. The first two attempts you have at dealing with this combination, you don't actually have a failure case, and the remaining opportunities where you need to deal with this are actually also very, very short, and you have the opportunity to see the pattern of the Yoku blocks before you even have to make a jump into any sort of danger. And I think that's the big difference that separates Mega Man 3's difficulty from 2, is it doesn't really spring any, like, you should have known about this things on you. They're starting to understand that demonstrating something safely and allowing you to see the challenge enables them to put out some fairly tough challenges without them feeling too nonsense. I say this immediately after Sparkman stage with the enemies teleporting in as you're jumping across platforms, but I feel this is more indicative of the general design of the game this time around. Magnet Man himself is, again, a fairly predictable boss. He'll jump across the arena and then either jump high and fire a couple missiles. These magnet missiles have the effect of turning... They just go horizontally, but once they're above you, they will turn down and head down towards you instead. Very easy to dodge. Uh, he'll either do that, or he'll go invincible for a little bit and try to draw you in. It's a really simple boss fight. I doubt anybody would have much difficulty with Magnet Man to begin with. One of the prettier stages that we get to in this game is Gemini Man's stage, which begins with crossing a crystalline field at night, then reaching what is like, oh, man. Okay, I haven't even mentioned to this point Breakman. So, as you're going through various stages in this game, you will hear a very particular whistle. That whistle announces the arrival of Breakman in specific locations. In most of the stages where you will encounter Breakman, Hardman stage, Shadowman stage, in most of these locations, Breakman will actually duel you. He's a very simple fight that just jumps his way across the arena until he hits the wall and then turns around, and whenever he's at the height of his jumps, he takes a couple shots. He is a red robot with 
a design kind of like certain enemies that weren't previously available in the series, but a frame that is very Mega Man in design. And he also has a very trademark scarf. Anyway, in this stage, things go a little bit different, and when you reach the end of this crystalline field, there's like a gate thing set in the earth, and Breakman shows up and shatters it and then teleports away, kind of leaving you wondering whether Breakman is friend or foe. The second half of Gemini Man's stage is weirdly trippy. It's like you're surrounded by a bunch of different colored stones that are all glowing, and the background is like a weird neon mesh, and I don't even know how to, like, put words to this one. It's weird. And then on top of it, you have, like, fish eggs that you shoot, and the tadpoles come after you. They don't even look like they're robotic tadpoles. They're just tadpoles? And you have to bust up a bunch of them to get through. And then there is, this is the one stage in the game to actually feature a water segment as well, which that is kind of a scary segment. There's a bunch of single block platforms that you need to jump across. At the same time, there's going to be some enemies flying down from above. They won't just like drop onto your head. You will see them coming, but there is enemies that are going to attack you from above while down below in the water, there are fish bots that are going to shoot missiles up at you. It's kind of a tense little section. And there's no floor underneath the water either, so if you fall, GG. Gemini Man himself is actually one of the most complex robot masters we've had to date, in that he is actually a two-phase fight. At the beginning of the fight, he splits himself in two. The two of them will make loops around the outside of the arena. Whenever you fire at one of them, whichever one of them happens to be on the ground will turn towards you and fire a shot, and then will continue moving. Once you've taken off half the life bar, the clone will vanish away, and Gemini Man will instead attack you a little bit more traditionally, including using his Gemini laser, a beam that will start reflecting diagonally around the arena. So you won't be safe by hiding against a wall, because it will just bounce off that wall and come for you. Gemini Man's stage is... it's something else, because it feels like the stage itself goes through two different phases, and the boss does, and like, even if a lot of it is abstract and weird, it feels like it has a little more progression to it than a lot of Mega Man stages will. They put a lot of effort into this one. But I've actually saved my favorite stage for last on this one, which is Snake Man. This stage is literally built up, for the most part, out of literally interwoven giant robot snakes. <laughs> You even will have to destroy the heads of some of these snakes in order to progress the stage. It's probably one of the most unique stage designs in a video game, because, like, snakes as part of a stage is not unusual. Snakes as enemies is definitely common. Snakes as part of a stage, like, I can think of, like, stages in Battletoads and Bucky O'Hare, where there were giant snakes. In both of these, you climbed around on the snakes, but they were just part of the stage. Snake Man's stage is built out of snakes, at least at first, and then you get to the second half, and for some reason you're crossing a bunch of cloud platforms, but it's it's just a really cool and distinct and unique stage design. Once you reach Snake Man himself, he's a particularly aggressive boss. He chases you around his awkwardly shaped arena, occasionally shoots out additional little snakes, and these snakes will travel along the ground and climb walls and stuff uh, as part of their path. You can jump over them, and I I think you can destroy them if you hit them, but they can be fairly dangerous. Just the aggression of this boss and how hard it is to get away from him and get like a safe chance to attack does make him fairly tricky. Now, having taken care of all eight robot masters fairly quickly, let's stop and take a look at our arsenal before we go any further. <laughs> Once again, we're going to 
try to go from what I think is the worst weapon in the game to the best one, and we're going to be beginning with the Spark Shock from Sparkman. It's essentially Mega Man 1's Ice Slasher, in that it's a straightforward projectile that stuns enemies rather than killing them. That's the problem with this weapon. It is a stunning weapon. While an enemy is paralyzed by it, you can't switch weapons to finish it off with another weapon. You just have to wait for it to wear off before you can change weapons. It doesn't destroy things. It just leaves enemies sitting in your way where they'll still damage you. And unlike the Ice Slasher, it doesn't have any environmental interactions on the stage either. So this weapon's pretty useless. The one time it is decent is that it is Magnet Man's weakness, but Magnet Man is fairly easy as is, so you don't even really need it. Speaking of Magnet Man, I guess I'll put the Magnet Missile next. It is a forward projectile that will turn to either fire directly up or directly below once it detects an enemy in that location, except some things it doesn't really consider to be an enemy. Sometimes it gets confused and turns up early because it detects a projectile moving above it, and then it's just going to turn and not hit what you were aiming at in the first place because that projectile is already going to be long gone. There's a couple rooms where it's kind of useful, I guess... Much like the Spark Shock, it is the weakness of Hardman, but Hardman's simple enough to beat without it, so... Similarly, the Search Snake is... It's supposed to be kind of an upgrade to the Bubble Lead, in that it's a ground-based projectile, but this time instead of just falling or stopping at a wall, the Search Snake is actually capable of climbing walls and continuing over them. I, I don't think there was any point in this game playing regularly that I really thought, oh yeah, the Search Snake is exactly the weapon I need to deal with this specific enemy. It just doesn't have much in the way of practical value. Unlike the previous two weapons, though, it is the weakness for Gemini Man, who is like a quick and aggressive enough boss that if you can take him down faster, that, that is worth it. So it's at least a valuable weapon against that fight. And I just realized that I've gone halfway into this list as though Gemini's Gemini Laser is not actually probably worse than the Search Snake or Magnet Missile. So the Gemini Laser is a decently damaging weapon. The problem with it is you can only have one shot of it out at the time. And once it hits a wall, it will reflect in a diagonal direction and just start bouncing multiple times before eventually no longer bouncing and just passing through the walls until it leaves. There's two problems with the Gemini Laser. The first is that if you miss with this weapon, you can't fire another one and you can't switch weapons until that laser has left the screen, which is going to take a few seconds, which means you are utterly defenseless during that time. And the second problem is that for whatever reason, unless you are playing Turbo on Mega Man Legacy Collection, Gemini Laser is better described as the lag beam. <laughs> it is a weapon that slows the game down to a crawl. It's just not fun to use, so somehow I misplaced this higher up this list than it should be. It's still better than Shock Spark because it still kills things, but it's even a risky choice to use this against Needleman, who really wants to be hurt by his weakness weapon and done with as soon as possible, because again, if you miss, who boy. <laughs> Fortunately, the remaining four weapons in this game are pretty good. The least good of these four weapons would be the Needle Cannon from Needleman. This is basically a Gatling gun that comes out with a little bit of a spread. You can just hold down the button and you'll just constantly fire these needles at things. And, and the damage isn't much above your regular buster, but the sheer fact that it's just hold and spew damage out is kind of useful against a lot of bulkier enemies, or even just as a replacement for your regular buster, because it is quick, it is painless to use, and it has pretty good ammo efficiency. 
For the things that it doesn't take out quickly, next I'll suggest the Hard Knuckle from Hardman. This weapon, at first it seems pretty unassuming, if not outright bad. You stop completely for a moment when you fire it, and then it's just a slow-moving projectile that accelerates. And if it doesn't hit something, it will take a couple seconds to get off screen, and much like the lag laser, that does leave you wide open because you can't switch weapons until it's gone. But... The Hard Knuckle does deal a ton of damage. There's a couple critical enemies that you run into regularly throughout this game, such as a stomping robot that you either need to slide under or defeat in tons of stages in this game. You can just throw one Hard Knuckle into its face when it's vulnerable and it's gone. Also, if you have to jump at any enemy and repeatedly use Hard Knuckles to defeat it, there's actually a weird thing if you get up in something's face where you can mash the button and because it stops you in place for a moment when you fire, you actually just sort of like float in the air and repeatedly hit. It's For how simple of a weapon it is, I actually found myself breaking it out quite a bit. For a far less traditional weapon, number two is taken by one of the weirdest weapons in the game, which is the top spin. And by weirdest weapons in the game, I think I actually mean weirdest weapons in the series. The top spin cannot be used on the ground. It is only available when you're in the air and causes Mega Man to basically spin while you're jumping. This doesn't affect the momentum of your jump in any way, by the way. What it does do is effectively act as a first strike if you come into contact with anything. You'll deal a ton of damage to it and bounce backwards slightly. Pretty much any time you need to defend yourself while jumping across pits, unless the enemy is straight up invincible like in Sparkman's stage, the top spin will actually take it down. Now you do need to make sure that you have enough of a jump to do that. Because you do get bounced back like a couple pixels, it does shorten your jump a little bit, but this really unassuming weapon turned out to be surprisingly valuable for just getting through stages. So many enemies in this game, and Mega Man games in general, and platformers in general, are based around the idea that if the enemy hits you, you are the one who takes disadvantage from it. But the topspin kind of inverts that typical paradigm in your favor, and it's, it's nice for it. Finally, we come to the best weapon in the game, off-brand Metal Blade, by which I mean Shadow Blade. The Shadow Blade can only be fired in any of the kind of, like, upwards five directions, so nothing that points downwards, or diagonally downwards, but everything else is fine. It cannot be fired as rapidly, it has a bit of a shorter range, and then it will eventually stop and boomerang back to you, and it's not as ammo efficient, but it is still effectively the Metal Blade. I guess it doesn't work on as many bosses as easily either. Still, just having that omnidirectional weapon, it turns out that is just a really good base property for a weapon to have. You can take out enemies in places that other weapons just cannot get to, and that's, that's just always plenty welcome. In addition to the Rush Coil, completing Shadow Man and Needle Man stages will also reward you with the Rush Marine and the Rush Jet. The Rush Jet is a standby we'll be seeing again a bunch in other games in the series. It summons Rush to transform into basically a controllable platform. Once you jump on it, you have complete freedom of movement to just fly around the stage. You can even shoot your weapon while on this thing, as opposed to like previous utility weapons that prevented you from using anything but summoning more of these weapons. While Rush Jet is out, you still have your basic buster. This is also probably one of the best Rush Jet incarnations in the series, because you do have full freedom of movement. You can even jump off of him, and he will track you as best he can while you're in the air, so that ideally you land back on him. The only limitation to the Rush Jet is that as you are standing on him, you do consume the weapon energy that powers him, but I believe if you keep jumping, you don't even like lose weapon energy while you're in the air over him. It's kind of ridiculous. The Rush Marine is a very similar deal. It's essentially a 
submarine that you can enter in water sections. You can jump the submarine out of the water and then continue to move it by continuing to jump, but otherwise it will just sit there. It's it's basically a slightly weaker rush jet that functions in the one environment the jet doesn't, which is underwater. The thing about the Rush Marines that is fun of an idea as it was, they kind of forgot to actually put water into this game. Only Gemini Man stages have it. Or did I just say Gemini Man stages? Yeah. Let's get back to the main game because we're not actually straight off to Dr. Wily's Fortress this time. First we have the dock robots. are four additional stages that open up after you complete the original eight. They appear in Sparkman, Needleman, Gemini Man, and Shadow Man stages. Returning to these stages presents you with basically a remixed version of the stage that is now toughened up to account for the fact that you now are fully armed by the time you reach these stages. The big challenge of these stages, aside from just generally being harder stages, is that halfway through the stage, before the first checkpoint, there is an additional boss on top of the one that you will fight at the end of the stage. In other words, every stage contains two dock robots. Each of the dock robots is essentially infused with one of the bosses from Mega Man 2. That's right! We're going to be fighting Metal Man and Quick Man and Crash Man and all of them essentially all over again. Now, in order to make up for the fact that it's a little bit trickier to tell what everything's going to be vulnerable to, the dock robots all have two weaknesses, and each weapon in the game is strong against two of the different dock robots, so you have a lot of freedom to experiment and see which weapons you want to use against whom. Kind of a fun little change from the norm. Each of the stages does come with some new tricks to them as well. Needleman's stage has changed over to a nighttime aesthetic, and now has a large section where you need to use the rush jet, which this, as well as a now mandatory rush marine segment in Gemini Man's stage, these are like the two sections of this game where you might run into the weapon screw issue that's been present in the previous games. And naturally, they are in the second half of the stage, too, after, after the checkpoint. So if you do end up getting weapon screwed, you're back to the start. But the stages do at least make an effort to ensure there's a ton of spare weapon energy to pick up, so that the first time you make it through, you should still end with roughly full energy to make another attempt. Kind of. It's not great, but it's definitely, it's a lot less painful than in Wily's Castle 2, especially because each of these stages are independent stages. This is not a stage gauntlet. Your weapon energy is refilled as you go into each one. As for the other two remix stages, Sparkman stage might honestly be easier than the original was. This time around, there isn't those platforms that launch upwards towards the spikes, and that alone makes it, like, so much simpler. Shadow Man's stage is very, very similar to the original, but has a lot more spikes and a lot more pitfalls. This time there are pits that you can fall in while it's dark, but to accompany those dark sections you have platforms that will like drop out a moment after you land on them, but you can see these platforms even in the dark so you have an idea of where you're going. After you've finished off all the dock robots, the center of the stage select changes over to Breakman. We get one more quick duel with Breakman as before, and then it's time to return to Dr. Light's lab with all the energy crystals that we did, except uh, psych! Fun fact about those Doc robots, it meant Doc isn't Dr. Wily, and Dr. Wily's taken advantage of the fact we were busy with those creations and Breakman to 
steal the giant robot him and Dr. Light were building, which is now nearly completed, and take off to his secret fortress to finish it up and use it to rule the world. Because of course. I don't know why we trusted him, but it's time for Wily's Fortress. So, up to this point, we've had quite a bit of playtime with our full weapon set, which, I mean, getting new weapons is part of the fun of Mega Man, but also giving those weapon sets a chance to breathe is something that we don't often get. Of course, all that additional playtime did come at a bit of a cost, and this time around the Wily stages are largely reused material. Like, I'm not actually going to go too far into the specifics of most of these stages, because most of them even reuse a similar tile set. They were definitely aiming to make the most content they could this time out of reusing pieces, just like they remixed the stages for the dock robots. That said, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Unlike Wily's Fortress 2, the Wily stages are actually really generous and have very little times where you really need exact and specific tools in order to progress. Some of the bosses that we'll get to can, but they also don't really stretch those weapons to their limits. And almost every single stage in here tends to start out with an opportunity to get a life or an extra E-tank or something if you have rush coil and some weapon refills. it's I think they realized what they'd done in Mega Man 2 and were trying to compensate, and let me tell you, they might have almost overcompensated. I think I may used maybe two or three E-tanks throughout this game, and I still finished with like eight to spare, <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous. Of course, part of that may just be the fact that, unlike Mega Man 2, you maintain your energy tanks whenever you game over in this game. So anyway, moving on to the specifics of the stages themselves, stage one is probably one of the most visually distinctive that we'll get. It follows this sort of raiding a castle theme that was in Wily's Fortress 2, except this time, instead of climbing up an outer wall, we're going to break into essentially the sewer system underneath and infiltrate the fortress from there. The first boss we'll face here is the Kalmagoro machine, which is this little, like, we fall into a tank, and there's this, like, claw machine-looking thing hanging out overhead. And you would think that's the boss, and it kind of sort of is, but actually we can't hurt that thing. Instead, we have to wait for it to deploy these, like, increasingly quick little turtle robots and we take out the robots themselves, and that damages the boss. When you realize that the Metal Blade kills these things in one hit, this boss becomes a joke. Stage 2 switches us to what is kind of our theme for most of the remaining stages, which is a vertical climb that reuses old stage hazards. We do start to run into some optional walls that we can break crash bomb style, but this time we have to use the hard knuckle for them. The only thing that's really big and notable about Wily Stage 2 is the return of the Yellow Devil. Oh boy, he's back. Mostly he's in the same pattern, but he is generally easier this time. A big part of that is due to the fact that we do have the ability to slide now. We don't have to jump over every single piece. If it's coming at more like head height for Mega Man, we can just slide under it. Of course, this time we do not have the Elec beam to fall back on. We have to use the hard knuckle, which there's no chance of pause glitching that, even if that was a thing in this game. So you're going to have to defeat him a little bit more legitimately this time. <laughs> 
Wily Stage 3, again, I do have to say that if there's a flaw with the Wily's Fortress this time, is that they didn't give me a whole lot to talk about? I can talk about the boss, though, because Wily Stage 3 is sort of the comeback of the copybot from the first game. There's three teleporters set up at different floors in the room in the boss fight, and from these teleporters will pop out three Mega Man, who will just run around and fire single shots aimed at you. One of these robots will be firing shots more frequently, and this is the real one. The others are actually just holograms. And so... Every time they appear for a few seconds, you need to quickly figure out which one's the real one and try to do the damage that you can as fast as possible before they shuffle themselves up again. Not quite as unique as the original copybot fight because it's not like these ones change weapons to match yours or anything, but it is just generally kind of an interesting fight in that it's structured differently from others. Wily Stage 4 has us going underground a little bit and dealing with a couple new enemy designs, but then at the end of the stage, rather than finding a boss, we hit our teleporter room for the boss refights. This one's pretty much identical to the boss refights in the second game. Once you complete all of them, you can head through the gate at the back and actually just be done with the stage. This is a rare instance where there's a Wily stage that doesn't actually end on a boss fight. The fifth stage is pretty much just a room with some weapon energy and stuff to recharge your gear in an energy tank and all, and then it's straight onto the Wily machine. This is not just a floating bot that occasionally shoots at you like the previous ones. Instead, this time, it's like it's like a walking spider bot thing that comes from one side of the screen slowly, and you can slide under the legs when they lift up, and you have to do that in order to safely pass under it. For the first life phase, you need to take out the cannon located at the bottom of the bot. This is actually really easy to do once you realize that it is vulnerable to the hard knuckle, and in fact it only takes four uses in order to break it. And the faster that you deal with it, the better, because if you have to actually slide under this thing to hurt it, you're going to have a problem, because its shots are weird and difficult to dodge up close. Afterwards, the top of the machine opens up, and the second life bar you'll need to take out Dr. Wily himself, who is, most of the time, he's actually up high out of range. You'll either need to use the rush coil or the rush jet to get some height in order to pester him, or wait for the occasions where he slams down in the machine, which will deal a ton of damage if you get caught under him, so you've got to be careful about that. But otherwise, you can use that opportunity to hit him. All the while, during this phase, he's just constantly throwing bullets at you out of side turrets. Like a lot of the previous Wily machines, this phase is actually kind of hard to not take some damage on, so you do want to try to take him down quickly, but at this point I think you've built up so many energy tanks you probably don't care. Anyway, we break the Wily machine and Wily falls out of it and he starts groveling and we run over to him, and then Wily's head pops off and oh, it was just a robot decoy. Dang it, Wily! So we chase Wily down to the heart of the fortress, where, surprise, surprise, in the final stage of this game, he is now piloting the giant robot Gamma that him and Dr. Light built together. Essentially, this makes him a big target in the center of the stage, and you'll need to scale up a platform on the side, probably using the rush coil to get up there in order to actually damage it. Once again, you can just break the main body apart, the hard knuckle, and if you're thinking, like, Man, there's a lot of stuff that's been using the hard knuckle. I want to emphasize this again. There's a ton of weapon energy. There's like three weapon energy capsules before you do this fight. And the game does not want you to go into it unarmed. After you break the first phase of this boss, it recharges the life form, and you have one final phase. This time, occasionally, giant fists from the side of the screen will come in and try to punch you and deal a ton of damage, but you can use those fists to climb back up, and you will have to climb up multiple times, because the only weapon that hurts Dr. Wily in the final fight is to jump into his face and roundhouse kick him with the top spin <laughs> of all the dumbest 
possible weapons. So anyway, Gamma's been destroyed, Dr. Wily's knocked loose, his plan is foiled, and he starts groveling. Unfortunately, the destruction of Gamma has started to bring down the fortress, and both Mega Man and Dr. Wily get trapped under debris. At this point, Breakman shows up again, destroys the debris over Mega Man, and carries his unconscious form away, remarking that he isn't sure where Dr. Wily is, because apparently he didn't see him there, even though he saw Mega Man. Mega Man regains consciousness back in the lab of Dr. Light, and Dr. Light's all like, Huh? Well, I, I don't know how you got back here, you were unconscious when I found you. And then he hears a distinct whistling, and is all like, Huh, I wonder if you were saved by Proto-Man. Then as the credits play out, rather than immediately going to a description of the new robots, we jump back to the original Mega Man 1 cast as it displays their production numbers, name, and purposes in reverse order, counting down through the original six Robot Masters, then Roll, the household assistant, Mega Man, and finally, production unit number zero, Proto Man, the first robot that Dr. Light ever built, and the one who's been masquerading under the name of Breakman. It's kind of funny to realize that this was, like, I've been calling him Breakman the whole time, and I've been having to manually correct myself because Proto Man's a really important character to the series, and it wasn't until I was watching this ending that I realized, like, wait a second, we're not supposed to have known who Proto Man was, or that there was a Proto Man at all until this last-minute reveal in the credits, which, honestly looking at it now, I actually really like the way that it's done, that it, like, goes back through and it name drops him and you're like, who the heck? And then it explains, like, a hidden piece of this background lore. It's it's a much more interesting and satisfying ending than whatever the previous two games' endings were. <laughs> that said, that's it. That's Mega Man 3. <laughs> final remarks. It is tradition at this point to call out a couple of songs that I think really stood out in this one. I think on an overall beat, Mega Man 3 is probably where the classic Mega Man series found its sound and the way it's like supposed to musically sound. One was really, really experimental in them getting used to the tech. Two was also experimental and they drifted around a bit. Three has a specific sound identity to it that kind of carries through. And I do have to admit that makes it a little bit difficult for me to find my preferred tracks from this game. But I've got three I think are worth it. The first one I'll mention is Dr. Wily Stage 2. It's got a fair amount of energy to it, but it's also a really, like, downplayed track in kind of a way that Dr. Wily's Castle worked in the first game, where there was a certain degree of tension to it that was welcome. This is played for the third and fourth stage, so it's kind of in that mid-stretch, too, so it, it fits. You're not quite at the finale yet, but you're almost there. Probably my favorite of the classic Robot Master stage themes, at least in this game. Which goes to Shadowman's, there's just that opening is so good.
But naturally, the song that I have to call out the most is the song that is Proto Man's theme song, and specifically the extended version of it present in the ending. You've been hearing this little track throughout the game, but then it brings it all together. All the Mega Man games tend to have really, really good ending themes, but the fact that they weaved in this theme that was specifically a recurring piece of the game's soundtrack to that point, I think just nails this kind of nostalgic feeling of finding out like, hey, Mega Man, you have a brother. I've been recording for quite a bit of time, and you're probably sick of listening to talk, so let's let's wrap this up. What did I think of Mega Man 3? This game was fun. Like, the weapons are probably on average a little bit worse than Mega Man 2's, like, really solid set, but they were still plenty useful. The bosses are pretty varied and a lot of fun. There's a good mix of, like, easy and hard. This was a really easy Mega Man game for me. Despite how unfamiliar I felt with this game overall, there were only a couple stages that really gave me any trouble or game overs at all. And maybe it was just that I got lucky, but also this game just like constantly throws extra lives and life refills and energy tanks. Oh, so many energy tanks. Your energy tanks are even part of the passwords in this game, so you can load up your file and have nine ready to go as you start the final fortress. Because so much more of this game's difficulty is usually put into scrapping with enemies over like platforming challenges, energy tanks actually are useful here. Would I recommend this? Yeah, I almost want to say this might be a Mega Man game for people to start the series with currently. Again, maybe I just got really lucky with this one, but like this was a friendlier Mega Man game than I expected it to be by a large margin. Maybe it'll turn out that some of the later games in the series are actually even easier, or maybe it's just that I'm finally getting my skills back at the series, and this will just become a thing where I'm like, wow, this was easy, and actually it's really, really difficult. That is going to be something that I'm going to have to think about a bunch as I get further and further into the series with... Actually, I was about to say with Mega Man 4, but that's not what we're doing next. The truth is, is in 1990, there was another game released that featured Mega Man, and I'm not going to say what game that was, but maybe you can hear the despair in my voice at what I'm about to put myself through next. And if you don't know what it is, well, you'll find out when we release the next episode. Until then, if you want to get in touch, I'm available at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at whatamipodcast4, as in the number four. If you want an RSS feed or direct downloads or anything like that, try looking at WAIPF podbean.com or just check your personal preferred podcast distribution service which i hope has this episode by now i'm 
currently recording this far enough in advance that I don't actually know. I have not uploaded the first episode, and I don't know what it has appeared on, and I wouldn't even really know how to check. I'm still an amateur at this stuff. Anyway, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. And remember, heart man! <laughs> It's not so much a needle-themed stage as it is a free-themed stage. Um, That was bad. We'll save that one for the bloopers.